morning, Four Oaks. Paul Gilbert, I'm the lead pastor, and uh, I love this time of year. See all the old Four Oaksters roll in um, from wherever you've been. Just as a reminder, um, Susan and I will be home the next couple of days. You can drop your gift off on the front porch. You don't even need to come in or knock or anything. We'll just be glad to receive it. No, seriously, it's great to see so many, so many um, faces from the old timers here. Hey, open your Bibles to, to Hebrews chapter 2. As Josh mentioned, this is the fourth Sunday of Advent in this series that we're calling Christmas is Creed. It's a reminder that as much as the Advent season is a time of celebration, it's also an affirmation. It's a declaration. It's a confession about what it is that we as, as the church, the body of Christ, believers, believe about Jesus. Now, when you look around town, when you look around in the larger culture, it's easy to perceive what we think are great threats to the Christian faith, right? Threats like the fact that the target employee just won't say Merry Christmas to you no matter how many times you say it to him, right? Or, or Starbucks and their demon-possessed red-colored coffee cups. Or the Father Christmas himself, Santa, where kids, if you know, if you rearrange the, the letters to Santa, you know what that spells, I'll let your parents tell you later, okay? It's easy to perceive that that threats everywhere to this confession of faith that we make. But in reality, the scriptures don't, don't approach, the, approach this issue that way at all. That, that the greatest threat is, is out there somewhere to our faith. No, no, no. The scripture is much more concerned about what happens in here. The scriptures are much more concerned about the threat that presents itself in your heart and in my heart. You see, as we're going to see this morning, the, the, the greatest threat comes from the soul. You know, and, and understand, not that we would deny the faith. You know, looking around a lot of church-going religious folk here, um, you're probably not going to disagree with much of what we say here, if anything at all. The great fear, the great concern is, of the writer of Hebrews this morning is not that we would deny the faith. We don't just wake up one morning and say, today's the day I forget all about the meaning of Advent. Today's the day I walk away from it all. No, no, no. It doesn't happen like that. It happens by the fact that we first become distracted. And then in becoming distracted, we drift away from it. Now listen to how Hebrews 2 talks about this. This is going to read these first four verses as kind of an intro into our main text. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? You know, that word drift away. Literally, it means to slip, as in to slip a ring off your finger. You know, I, I'm, I'm looking at the married folk in here, and most of you are wearing your, your wedding bands. And, and if you're under 35, you probably have yours tattooed on your ring finger, okay? I don't feel the need for that because I, I never take mine off as a sign of my undying love. Except this one evening, and it was about three weeks ago, my wife has never heard this story, which is, makes it very dangerous to share publicly for the first time. But I, we were sitting there watching some sort of movie, and my finger began to, to, to itch. 
And when you get in, and you're from Tennessee and you get an itch, you've got to itch it. So you've got to itch your itch. So I, I just slid that ring off just for a brief moment because I had to kind of scratch and something, some commotion happened in the room. And anyway, I got distracted and I, I looked up an hour later or two and I realized my ring was no longer there. And of course, I did what any sensible man would do. I, I came to my wife and I said, honey, the, the undying token of my love and appreciation has disappeared. Will you help me find it? Is that what I did? No way, man. I started scurrying around as fast as I can. Okay? Where did it go? What, what happened? Honey, I'm wearing it right now. So we, we were good. Okay? It was in the bowels of the carpet somewhere. But that's how easy it is. That's what... That's what the writer is talking about here, that our, that our souls, our hearts can grow cold. They can grow distracted. We can slip away. And so the writer of Hebrews exhorts us to something. He's saying, pay much closer attention to this great salvation. Pay much closer attention. Study it. Remember it, celebrate it, rehearse it, confess it, talk about it, pray over it, don't neglect it, pay closer attention to it, lest it slip away. Understand something. The writer here is not talking about people losing their salvation. The writer is talking about people who were deceived into thinking they had salvation to begin with. And that the neglect that they demonstrated towards the salvation revealed something of their souls. And so this morning, the writer of, of Hebrews is going to, going to take us to that place, is going to take us to those place of reminders. And you know, and you think it would be in this Advent Christmas season easier not to drift away, right? Easier not to be distracted. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I, I I recommended a couple of Advent books by, by John Piper and Paul Tripp. So you get a little trip in the morning, a little Piper at night. Everything's just right. You know, so, and, I, and I ordered these books for myself. And I was like, this is going to be just a spiritually engaging Advent season. Every conversation in our home is going to be dripping with gospel. You know, we're going to wake up in the morning and at breakfast and at evening. And I look up, it's December 24th. And gosh, this hasn't been quite exactly like that. Can you identify it's just been kind of crazy, busy, distracted. And so we need this, church. We need this, Christian. We, we need to be reminded. We need to be stirred up about what it is exactly that we are affirming about the incarnation this morning. And so we're going to be in verses 5 through 13. Let me read those. We're going to pray, and we're going to dive in. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, what is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present... We do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him, meaning Jesus, who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. 
For it was fitting that he, Jesus, for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Let's pray. Father, we want to see with fresh eyes this morning. Lord, we don't want to to press forward neglecting this amazing great salvation you have given us. Lord, open our eyes to your word that we might be stirred up this morning, that we might not be neglectful of this, that we might not drift away, but in fact, Lord, we would be drawn closer to, to your heart and yours to ours. And so, Lord, we commit these things to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Just three simple points this morning. Um, a, a sermon we're calling the Illumination from the Incarnation. And, and they, they send you to seminary for this, but the three points are simply the who, the why, and the how. Okay, so that's, honey, that's what we spent four years of our life doing. So I could just do that. The, the who, the why, and the how of the Incarnation. Let's look at the who, seriously. Verse 9. In verse 9, it says that he, meaning Jesus, was made a little lower than the angels for a little while. Now, what, what that means is that even though Jesus, for a season, put aside all the divine rights and privileges of being the God of the universe for a season to take on flesh and blood, he did this for a little while, then he ascended back into heaven, and now everything is being put in subjection under his feet. One day he will return. We're looking forward to the second advent. That's part of why we celebrate the first advent. But, there's, but verse 10 has this interesting phrase for how you and I are to think about this advent season for what Jesus did the first time he came. And, and verse 10 says it like this. It says that Jesus was the founder of our salvation. Now that, that word can literally be translated author might be in some of your translations or I think closer pioneer trailblazer path finder you guys know I'm a, I'm a history nerd so I finished about a year ago a book by Stephen Ambrose called Undaunted Courage it's about Lewis and Clark their expedition to find a route from the East Coast to the West Coast, starting at the Mississippi and St. Louis. They were trying to find a route via waterway. They ended up hiking, camping, backpacking, canoeing. It sounds miserable, but anyway, they ultimately made it. And what's interesting about this is that no one knew the way prior to them. Now, trappers, explorers, Native Americans knew bits and pieces of this route, But it took Lewis and Clark going all the way for anyone to know the true path from start to finish. It was upon them to show the way, to blaze the trail. At the end of this journey, they could say, in good conscience, they were the only ones, uniquely, who had this exhaustive, complete knowledge for how to get to point A to point B. 
Now, if you kind of wrap your mind around that, that's kind of what the author of, of Hebrews is getting at when he says that Jesus is the author, the pioneer, the trailblazer of our faith. See, other religions, faiths, philosophies might stumble upon certain nuggets, certain truths, which are true with a capital T, some good thing, some aspect of the Christian faith. But Christ is unique. When, when, when we profess the Advent this season, and you've heard me say this before, we're not simply choosing a, one among many valid spiritualities and saying, this is, this is what has meaning for us, Jesus. No, no, the, the text says something much more profound than that. It says that Jesus is the founder. He's the author. He's the only one who knows this way. You know, our pluralistic culture says that there are many ways to God. And let me tell you what I think makes Jesus Christ unique, what makes our affirmation of the Advent unique. See, when you look at the leaders of other major world religions and spiritualities, whether it's Muhammad or Joseph Smith or Buddha or Confucius or Gandhi or Mary Baker Eddy or fill in the blank, the founder is the one who always points people to the solution, to the mediator. The founder is always the one that points to the law or to good works or transcendentalism or a higher state of being. But listen, Christian, what makes Jesus unique? He's not just pointing the way to God. He is the way. He is God. He is the mediator. He is the path. And, and we, we need to understand something. When we're, when, we're, when we're singing these songs and making these statements of faith, what we're really saying, we're saying he is the founder, the trailblazer. He is unique. Look at verse 9, the extraordinary claim that the author of Hebrews makes about Jesus. It says that Jesus was crowned with glory and honor. This Jesus did not come to be a babe to inspire us, to set us a moral example, or to give us good teachings, although he does all of those things. It says that, verse 10, for by whom and through whom all things exist. So these little trivial holiday skirmishes, threats, they're just a tempest in the teapot. We have to remember the who. The who is Jesus Christ, the author, the perfecter, the founder, the trailblazer of our faith. How often do you think about that? Or does that just kind of roll off your tongue and kind of let's set that aside and let's dig into other more important things? No, no, no. This is reality shaping. It's universe altering and shaping. So think upon the who. Secondly, think about the why. So why did Jesus, the author, why did he come? Look at verse 10. Verse 10 says, For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, okay, in bringing many sons to glory. The word sons, sons, literally translated sons and daughters. Who, who is the author talking about here? 
Well, the, the picture is of one of a father who is estranged from his children. The children have rebelled. They're, they're the prodigals. They've, they've run off. They, 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 they've abandoned the homestead. They've squandered the father's inheritance on, on scandalous living in the foreign country. And so they're, they're at odds with the father. They're at enmity. They are separated. But Jesus, because of his trailblazing work, coming born to die, has made us a way to God. In other words, because of Jesus, God is now our Father, not our enemy. But here's what's really, really extraordinary. Have you ever thought about what that makes Jesus to you? Think about that. What does that make? If God is your Father, who is Jesus in this equation? Look at verse 11. That is why he is not ashamed to call them what? Brothers. Saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. God is our father. Jesus is our brother. But listen, listen, listen. Not just our brother. Not a little brother. Heaven help us. No, 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 no. He's our elder brother. Let me, just let me do a quick survey in here. How many of you have an older brother? Raise your hand. I don't like any of you. Okay, let me just say that right now. I always wanted an older brother. You know, Chris Kyle was one of the most celebrated American heroes in the Afghan-Iraqi war. He, he was made famous by the movie American Sniper. And it showed this scene when he was, when he was a, a, a tyke. He was a middle schooler or so. Chris Kyle was the oldest son, and he had a little brother. And this little brother was getting picked on by bullies on the playground. And in one of the most emotionally satisfying scenes, although I don't condone violence, this was really awesome, okay? Chris Kyle kind of barges into the middle of this, of this big bully who was beating the tar out of his younger brother. And what does Chris Kyle do? He laid hands on him and prayed. No, no, no. Got, got him some, all right? He went after that. The guy who was beating the tar out of his brother got the tar beaten out of him. And that night, they're all at the dinner table, and Dad gives a lesson. And Dad says this, you know, boys, there are three kinds of people in the world. There are sheep, there are wolves, and then there are sheep dogs. There's people, just normal people, living their lives not wanting to hurt anybody. Sounds like the Dukes of Hazard. okay. They, they, they are pursued by wolves who want to hurt, devour, destroy. And then there's this special class of people, the sheepdogs. They want to protect the sheep from the wolves. See, there's a spiritual analogy here. See, Because Jesus is our elder brother, he has come to do battle. He has come to fight fights and wage wars, and not against merely the secular authorities and all the the quasi-threats of Christmas. No, 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 because our enemies are much greater than that. Listen to what verse 14 in, in the same chapter says. Since, therefore, the children share in flesh and blood, that's us, it just means we're humans, He, Jesus, himself likewise partook of the same things. In other words, he became flesh like us. Now listen, 
that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. See, Jesus has come to wage war on the thing that's waging war with your soul. And that's yourself. That's the world. It's, it's the devil. And because of that, now this is amazing. This, this, there, there's, there's a lot here we could say about sonship, but that's not the focus of this text. This, fact, this focus of this text is on brotherhood. And we think about all the things that belong to Jesus because of the fact that he is the elder brother, the inheritance, the, the, the stature, the standing, the status, the, the, his righteousness, his fame. And now Jesus says, because I'm your elder brother, when you follow me, when you trust in me, all these things are yours. I'm not embarrassed of you. I'm not, I don't, I don't hold my head in shame at you. You know, there's a lot of people in here, and this, this really happens at Advent season, where there's just a lot of shame. There's a lot of shame for mistakes made in the past. There's a lot of mistakes for, for sins committed. Some of you may, may have just had an incredible incredibly difficult time making it here this morning. The only reason you're here is because somebody made you come or you're here from out of town or this is the only way to get your lunch paid for or whatever. I don't know. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. See, when I came, I died, I put on my flesh and my righteousness when you trust in me has become yours. See, now some of you are going to break out Christmas dinner tomorrow and, and the people I most feel sorry for on these days are the, are, are the late high schoolers, early college people, because you think of yourself as an adult, but your family still thinks of you as 10. And so, so when it comes time to set up the, the, the Thanksgiving or the Christmas dining table, okay, they have this little card table over to the side. You know what I'm talking about? Like where your 10-year-old cousin who picks his nose and eats it where he sits, okay? And you have to sit there, and you're like... Hey, wait a minute. I'm like married and stuff. I've got like, I've got like a baby. What, what, what is this? Jesus says, no, no, no. There's, no. there's no little table, no little kid table. You get to come sit at the head dais of the king. Verse 12, I am not ashamed to call them brothers. That's why Jesus came. He's the founder, the author, so that... We could be brothers with him and that God could be our father. But how does that happen? How does that happen? You see, I would venture to say, if you're a church-going person and you've been around the Christian faith for any length of time or maybe just by osmosis, there's probably not a lot in there necessarily that you would disagree with. But that's not enough. Albert Einstein said it this way. Any fool can know. The point is to understand. See, when we truly understand that, we are going to be compelled towards something. So what is that something? That's, the last, that's our last point, the how. Now, as I said, I'm a, I'm a history nerd. I'm also sci-fi movie nerd. Don't worry, okay? I'm not going to have any Star Wars, The Last Jedi spoilers, not about how Darth Vader rises from the grave or anything like that at all. No, opening night is my favorite time. 
So whether it's Star Wars, Matrix, Lord of the Rings, Star Trek, Harry Potter, you name it, we are there, the Gilberts, we're representing. And, and, and as a Harry Potterite, I began reading these when I was around the age of 40, which made me creepy man, who stayed and stand, stood in line with all the kids at midnight at Books A Million. But I remember when I, when I got books, when I got the, la, the, the Deathly Hollows, book seven, I was, I was one of the ones in line. And I, of course, I couldn't, I couldn't just come home and like put it on the, you know, on the counter and like wait till the morning to read it. No, no. I had to start right then. And there was, there was some point in there, and you have to know, it, it, in Harry Potter world, Harry has like miraculously lived through six books. I mean, and like his sole purpose is to stay alive. Harry must stay alive. But if this is spoiler alert, you are 10 years too late. Sorry. But, but, so, but basically, what you find out in book seven is that Harry actually has a secret mission, that the boy who lived has come to die. And I remember I'm, it's at two in the morning, whenever it is, and I'm on, the, I'm on our couch and I'm reading this book and I'm a 45-year-old man and I am, I am bawling like a baby, you know, as Harry is going, he has to die to defeat evil once and for all. It was his hidden mission. And see, what this scripture points to is that Jesus had a hidden mission. That he was born and for 30 years lived a pretty mundane life as a carpenter. But make no mistake, this boy who was born had one singular primary mission from the day that he was conceived in Mary's womb and that he was to come and die. Look at verse 9. It says he was made a little lower than the angels because of the suffering of death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Now, what I think is is interesting about that verse is the word fitting. It says it was fitting that Jesus came and died. And and that's an interesting word. It's kind of like, it's like to put on a dress. When I would tell Susan, that, that dress becomes you. It fits you. It, 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 it's perfect for you. That's the word. That to suffer and to die, it was fitting. In other words, nothing else would have done. Now, why is that? Look at verse 18. This is an amazing verse. For because... He himself has suffered, meaning Jesus, when tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. As when you go through a crisis, you're pondering a job change or whether to get married or whether to adopt or whether to move or how to handle a a conflict, who is it that you instinctively seek out? you probably seek out someone who can sympathize with you, who's, who's been there, who's walked through the same things, who can listen to you, who gets what you're saying. But at the same time, and think about this, you don't necessarily seek out someone who's been there but who has failed miserably, right? It would be kind of nice if this person totally got me, totally identify with me, had been through the same thing I had, but had come out on the other side the better for it. That's the person, right, you want to seek out. And can I just say this, just little, this is an, off, this is an offer here. 
that person in this life, guess what, doesn't exist. That person does not exist. And trouble happens when we import our expectations onto relationships to deliver something for us that God never intended for them to deliver. We do it in marriage. We do it to our children. We, we do it to friendships and relationships. And when we make idols of those things, they will do what idols always do, disappoint. That's why verse 18 says there is only one person that has done this. Only one person has walked in your shoes, experienced what you experienced, identifies with what you identify with, but yet offers amazing wisdom, has blazed the trail, has made the way, has come out on the other side, and that is Jesus Christ. That's why it was fitting. He had to take on flesh. So that he could be tempted in the way that we were, that he could that he would live the perfect life that we could not live and and have not lived, and we can look to him and say he has blazed the trail for us, and because of that he sympathizes with us. He is with us. We are his brothers. We are his sisters. Because you know, Advent can be a really challenging time, Christmas season. Particularly, obviously, for those who've lost loved ones, I'm looking around and there are people who are not here who were here this time last year. It can be hard when your parents are aging and they're dying. And, And one of the hardest things about that is that parents are people we look to to always know what to do, to be a to be a stronghold for us. That when we are weak, that they have the wisdom. But as we see our parents getting weak, as we see our parents dying, it exposes us to this vulnerability. It can be very lonely. We can be in a room of 50 people for Christmas dinner, and but we feel very alone. But remember, verse 17 says, He was made like us in every respect. You are not alone. If you know Jesus Christ, God is your father. Jesus is your elder brother. And if you're trusting in him, he gives you his spirit that lives within you. So, folks, what would God want us distracting, distracted, drifting people to do today? You might just want to try this one on, just over lunch or over dinner or in the morning before the presence or whatever works for you, break out Hebrews 2. Read it. Think on it. Pray about it. Celebrate it. Spend time pondering this author, this pioneer, this trailblazer of your faith who loves you, who gave himself up for you, who took on flesh for you in order to bring many sons and daughters to glory. You know, we celebrate communion every week and we're about to do that now. And you may say, Pastor Paul, do we celebrate communion even during Christmas of all times? Not even during Christmas. No, no, no. Especially during Christmas. See, we celebrate Advent here every week, Four Oaks, 
that Jesus Christ, God with us, God Emmanuel, has come. And because of that, we have an elder brother who is not ashamed of us, but who loves us, who gave himself up for us and invites us to trust in him. We invite our leaders to come forward, prepare to serve the Lord's table. And as, as they do, I just encourage you, spend a moment or two, a minute or so, just silently to yourself, pondering what we've talked about, something that God has brought to your mind as you prepare to come and celebrate the Lord's table. Do that.